Welcome to episode 86 of the Farm Exec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, senior editor of Farm Exec Magazine and your podcast host. Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insight for the C-suite. On this week's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Emma Chaffin, Vice President and Country Head of Galapagos UK. Emma talks about how she's dealt with her own cancer diagnosis and the effects it has had on her life and work in pharma. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Emma. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. TrueSterum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSterumNTWK.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, I'll be interviewing Emma Chaffin, Vice President and Country Head of Galapagos UK. Emma's here to discuss how her personal journey with cancer put a spin on her life, including her career in pharma. Thanks for joining us today, Emma. Thank you. Would you mind sharing the story behind your personal cancer journey? So it started in November 2017. I just turned 40 and I was working in my first role as a general manager at a small startup pharmaceutical company. And life was really very good. I felt that I'd really hit my stride both professionally and personally. Um, I'm married and at that point in time I had a seven-year-old daughter. I went for a run and noticed something slightly odd on my return in the shower. Quickly went to see the GP and then I was referred. Everything happened incredibly quickly and a week later I was being told it was highly likely I had breast cancer. A week later after that, when the biopsy results were back, it was confirmed. And then a week after that, I was being told it had spread to my lymph nodes and my lungs. And to add insult to injury, it was HER2 positive, which is an aggressive form of breast cancer. It was a fairly horrific time, as I'm sure you can imagine. Less than one in five with my diagnosis survived for five years or more. And that was a huge, huge shock at what I thought was the prime of my life. I started chemotherapy on the 6th of December 2017, and we actually took the decision to shave my head because the majority of my hair had all gone on Boxing Day that year. So not exactly the Christmas we'd planned, as I'm sure you can imagine. Over the following year, I had 18 rounds of chemotherapy, 15 sessions of radiotherapy. I have had five surgeries to date. I've still got more to follow. And I'm on long-term treatment as I have a high risk of reoccurrence in the future. The jury is still out as to whether it was or is cancer in my lungs. So I'm still having regular scans every six months to check on what's happening there. Thank you. You know, in the middle of this, you were working for a startup and had to let people go. And then you yourself were made redundant. How did you deal with that? Yeah, they say it never rains, but it pours. And it it certainly felt like that at that point in my life. I'd like to think that I dealt with it in no different way to I would normally deal with it, despite everything that was happening for me personally. The company I was working for had a clinical trial failure, which meant that the business model had to change. It's never an easy situation making a team redundant, but I think it's even more challenging in a startup environment because when you bring on that team, and it was me that personally brought that team into the company, 
they're buying into you as a leader and your vision for that organization as you grow it because there's not much else in place. Everyone who was with the company knew the risks of joining a startup and that was part of the attraction and actually the type of people that we sought out, it appealed to them, it was high risk and it was high reward. To go back to your question, I always deal with those situations with authenticity and with empathy for the personal situation it puts people in. I still speak to most of the team, and I think that's partly because of the way I dealt with it, but also that it was very clear that they knew that once I'd completed the process with them, it was then my turn, which is ultimately what happened. And then how did you come to join Galapagos? So cancer had really knocked my confidence, both professionally and personally. And I have to say that was a surprise to me. I'm a relatively confident individual normally. I took a year out to have treatment and recover, and I got made redundant probably about four or five months through this year out. It was a conscious decision to return to work. I wanted to go back to work. I didn't have to, but I wanted to. It's really important to me, and I feel it's a key part of who I am. So when I took that conscious step back to work, I was still on treatment and I really felt, and my husband counseled me as well, that it was time to be kind to myself. So I joined the industry and I went back to a company called Jazz Pharmaceuticals as a business unit director. And that role there was setting up a new neurosciences franchise. About a year into the role, I had a call for an executive search professional who had been helping me when I was looking for the roles when I originally got made redundant. And she couched uh, Galapagos to me. It was a company I hadn't heard of, but the more I heard, the more the role at Galapagos intrigued me. It was a therapy area I'd worked in previously and enjoyed. It was ulcerative colitis. And it was also a commercial startup of a local affiliate, which was very similar to what I was doing when I was originally diagnosed. I felt ready physically and mentally at that point in time. And it was obviously a huge psychological step, a positive one for me to move back to a role at the same level as I'd been operating at previously. So I've been at Galapagos for just over a year now as the country lead. So how has your cancer journey affected your outlook on life and your role as a leader in pharma? It really causes you to reevaluate everything in your life, both professionally and personally. I was never great with uncertainty and my husband always jokes that this has probably been the biggest lesson in coping with uncertainty that you could ever have. But perhaps less flippantly, I'm definitely a more compassionate leader than I was previously and colleagues around me who have known me over this period have given me that feedback as well. I'm also now very comfortable with who I am as a leader, more so than ever before. During the ordeal, I think my authentic self became even more clear to me. And previously, I've probably felt pressure to fit in either with the organization or with cultural norms. And I think that going through this process, I now acknowledge that I'm more confident and mature as a leader as a result of that. And as a consequence, it's now even more important to me that I work within an organization that fits my values. And the final piece is demonstrating vulnerability is something that I'm now very comfortable with. And I can see firsthand the benefits that this brings to leadership. So how has being in pharma contributed to how you've dealt with treatment? Were you more knowledgeable about getting involved in a trial or patient support groups? Sure. I trained as a pharmacist many years ago. So initially, I really coped by hiding behind the science. And I took the approach of reading up on all the clinical trials and making myself an expert in the type of breast cancer that I had. 
I've never had exposure to oncology previously. I think certainly when I trained as a pharmacist, and it's probably also true in pharma as well, that you either do or you don't work in oncology because of the complexity involved. And it was a therapy area I hadn't had previous exposure to. Over time, I realized that my wanting to learn about it all from an academic point of view was a coping mechanism, which I learned to accept. And I felt that that was acceptable as I was dealing sort of more holistically with everything else that was going on through other means. But in the course of my research, I found out about a new product that was only available either through the US or through a managed access program in the UK, specifically for people in my situation with a high risk of reoccurrence. It wasn't yet approved by NICE, so through several consultations with my oncology consultant, I managed to get myself prescribed the product, and that was a bit of an eye-opener, sort of guiding my consultant through this process. It wasn't something he was familiar with. I'm 100% convinced that that absolutely wouldn't have happened had I not have known the process and worked within the industry. And then as I came out of treatment, I joined Breast Cancer UK and Breast Cancer UK is a charity that campaigns to increase awareness of people's modifiable risks of breast cancer. I became an ambassador for them, I still am. And through that, there was a request for a patient expert in the NICE process for a HER2 positive breast cancer drug. I put my name forward and I was actually asked to sit on the NICE scientific advice panel for that particular product. And it was really interesting for me to see that process through a completely different lens and sort of from the other side of of the table, really very insightful and very interesting. Most of those opportunities I really don't think I would have even been aware of or known about had I not been working in the pharmaceutical industry. So it has had a big impact on how I went through the process. As you said, you're not involved in oncology therapies at work, but as a patient, what's your take on today's oncology drugs and, you know, what do you hope you can change? We talk in the industry about doing everything for patients all the time, but there's nothing quite like an experience like this to really make that live and make that breathe. It sounds really quite cliched. Outcomes are important. Of course they are. But as a patient, the things you value when you're in the middle of it are actually very different and more subjective. So I was lucky enough to be on a number of targeted therapies as well as the older chemotherapy. The targeted therapies were amazing, whereas the older chemotherapies are really effective, but are very much a blunt tool and make you feel really quite rubbish. I managed to work when I was on the targeted therapies, but I couldn't on chemo. It's also the chemo that makes your hair fall out. And for me, and also for my seven-year-old daughter, that was the most traumatic part because for her, that uh, that was really very, very challenging. As someone with a late stage diagnosis, and because of that, an uncertain future, we do need more therapies targeted to late stage and metastatic breast cancer. Survival rates are amazing in the high 90s for early stages of breast cancer, which is wonderful. But it does leave those of us with perhaps a later stage diagnosis or metastatic disease feeling a little despondent. When you have that late diagnosis, hope comes in the form of options and you just want to hear what's the next option and to ensure that you don't run out of options if one are being exhausted. That said, it's been three and a half years now since I was diagnosed and there are now more options than when I started on my journey. So some great positive progress. Emma, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story. It's been really insightful and, you know, I think we can all learn something from it. Thank you. What 
What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSterum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. TrueSterum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSterumNTWK.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Emma Chaffin, Vice President and Country Head of Galapagos UK. And the best business advice ever given to me is to focus on what you can control and treat people as you would expect to be treated. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutives, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.